Good morning, this is David Bennett, and this is Bitcoin And, a podcast where I try to find the edge effect between the worlds of Bitcoin, gaming, permaculture, podcasting, and education to gain a better understanding of all. Edge effect is a concept from ecology describing a greater diversity of life where the edges of two systems overlap. While species from either system can be found at the edge, it is important to note there are species in the overlap that exist in neither system, and that is what I seek to uncover. So join me in discovering the variety of things being created as Bitcoin rubs up against other systems. It is 9.30 a.m. Pacific Standard Time. It is the 29th day of November 2023. This is episode 826 of Bitcoin, and we got a lot to cover. Let's roll right into all the bullshit. Binance is operating without a license in the Philippines, according to a regulator. Yes, that's right. Just when you thought Binance's troubles were behind them, (laughs) no, they're not. Not at all. Not anywhere close. The big boys on Wall Street are telling the regulators over at the United States government to get this shit cleaned up because they want to be in control of the Bitcoin ETF. That's right. That's what I think is going on. Helen Parts is going to write this one, and she is writing it for Cointelegraph. Cryptocurrency exchange Binance. Binance has been operating, oh my God, in the Philippines without the necessary approval or license. (laughs) The horror, oh my God. According to the local securities regulator, the Philippines Securities and Exchange Commission, their own SEC, has issued a warning against Binance on November the 28th, informing the public that the exchange is not authorized to sell or offer securities in the country. Pausing to say, it took you this long to figure that shit out? Are you, are you kidding me? Really? I, although I would almost imagine that there has been another, at least one or two times over the last few years that the Philippines have said the exact same thing. But you should only have, first of all, you should only have to say that shit once. Okay. You should only have to say it once. But let's make the assumption for a moment that the Philippine SEC has just discovered that they're operating in their country without a without the appropriate regulations and licenses. Are, are you kidding me? It took you this long to figure this shit out. You're either incompetent or there's something else going on, and I think it's something else. Anyway, the announcement emphasized that the exchange, like Binance's, or like Binance, must apply for registration and provide detailed information about offered securities before selling them to the public. Such detailed information includes the issuance price and the nature of the securities and other data. The Philippines Securities Regulation Code also requires securities issuers to be registered in the country before being offered for investment. The issuer should also acquire a secondary license to sell or offer securities to the public. In the statement notes, adding, quote, Based on the commission's database, the operator of the platform Binance is not registered as a corporation in the Philippines and, oh my God, operates without the necessary license and or authority to sell or offer any form of securities as defined under Section 3.1 of the SRC, end quote. In addition, to operating without the necessary license. 
the SEC argued that Binance had been illicitly promoting its services in the country. The regulator warned entities involved in promoting or trading on Binance may be held criminally liable under Section 28 of the SRC. This is a criminal offense that carries the penalty of a fine of up to 5 million Philippine pesos, which is about $90,000, or imprisonment of 21 years, <laughs> 21, or both, under Section 73 of the SRC. Despite multiple warnings, Binance has apparently remained one of the major crypto trading platforms in the Philippines, with some users describing its local services as reliable and stable on social media three months ago. One Reddit commenter noted that the Philippine authorities were likely to copy the regulatory decisions by guess who? That's right. The United States SEC regarding Binance's legal status stating, quote, Binance is currently being sued by the U.S. SEC. If it loses in that case, every Binance operation in most countries, including the Philippines, would crumble like a house of cards. So if I were you... Trade on BSP-regulated exchanges like PDAX and Coins.ph, end quote. The news comes just a few days after Binance CEO Shengpeng Zhao pleaded guilty in a U.S. court to violating U.S. anti-money laundering laws and stepped down as the CEO. In September of 2023, the Philippines SEC partnered with U.S. SEC to combat crypto fraud. Binance and the Philippines SEC did not respond to a request for comment. Okay. Kid Warp, thank you for the 2.1 thousand Satoshis. I, I really appreciate those because you literally just paid for this entire stream. That's that For whatever reason, Zap.Stream doesn't just let me go down to basic. I, it just, like I save it, like I, I hit the basic button when I'm setting up my stream and I save all the changes and guess what? It just doesn't care. It's like a honey badger. It's like, nope, nope, that's just giving you best quality. So thank you, Kid Warp, for the 2,100 Satoshis because that really uh, just paid for the entire stream. Now, that said, getting back to this Binance business, <clears throat> this is ridiculous. Um, <laughs> what is this? This statement, this this sentence up here, um, Binance is currently being sued by the U.S. SEC, and if it loses in that case, every Binance operation in most countries, including the Philippines, would crumble like a house of cards. Why? Because every country is the United States' little bitch. If you haven't ever understood just how far-reaching this my country is, and it's not my country, it's the federal government that purports to control the United States. That's who's doing this. The, the dude in Nebraska that's on his tractor right now prepping fields for next spring doesn't give shit one about what the fuck goes on in Philippines. I guarantee it. Doesn't care. And if he did find out what was going on in the Philippines, still wouldn't care. Literally, it's, this is not the citizenry of the United States that is doing this. You have to understand that. The citizenry of all the countries in the world, I'm just going to say all the countries in the world, don't give one rat's stinking dead ass about not only any of this, but about a great many other things. We just don't care. We want to have babies. We want to have a house. We want to have a garden. We want to have a car that works. We'd like to have a job that makes us feel fulfilled. 
You know, that's what we want. That's the citizenry. The only people in the world that are causing any problems at all are those connected with the governments of the world. And in this particular case, the United States long arm of jurisprudence and regulatory authority and the ability to bomb your ass back into the fucking Stone Age has grown so long that even the Philippines are terrified of what we will do to them if they do not do exactly what we say. And what are we tell who, who is why are we telling the world to do this to places like Binance? Again, it's because it has become clear to the regulators that Bitcoin is a threat and they know they can't stop it. So what are they going to do? They're going to get their buddies in legacy finance to control it. And their buddies in the legacy finance are saying, in order us for, for us to do this, the USS George W. Bush needs to float their fucking ass and anchor off the coast of the Philippines and sit there in a threatening position. Because that's what might actually occur as we move forward in this new world. But we've got other fish to fry, right? Because nobody in Bitcoin, we're like a infestation. I, I said it on Noster yesterday. It is very rare that somebody, when they discover termites in their house because of inspections and because, you know, every once in a while they have, you know, another bug problem. And, you know, while the exterminators there figures out, hey, yeah, I've found some evidence of, of some termite. Uh, we got to do something about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It Generally speaking, you're always going to be okay with termites, but sometimes the infestation is so bad that by the time you figure it out, it's too late. We are the infestation to the legacy systems of the world. We have infested every corner of it. And Jack Dorsey is one of the termites that's crawling around, chewing up the wood and shitting out the structure of the new world. Black Block CEO Jack Dorsey leads the $6.2 million investment round in decentralized Bitcoin mining pool known as Ocean. If you saw a lot of stuff about something called Ocean yesterday and you're like, WTF, man, here it is. This is what's going on. Bitcoin Magazine written by Mark Goodwin. Today, Wyoming-based Mumolin? M-U-M-M-O-L-I-N, whatever the hell that is, Incorporated, has announced the successful completion of a $6.2 million seed funding round led by Jack Dorsey, also featuring prominent investors such as Accomplice, Barefoot Bitcoin Fund, Mooncite, New Layer Capital, and the Bitcoin Opportunity Fund, among others. This funding will fuel the launch of Ocean, a new initiative aiming to decentralize Bitcoin mining on a global scale according to a press release sent to Bitcoin Magazine. Quote, Ocean is solving a problem for Bitcoiners that I think all of us feel. Further centralization of mining pools that could plague Bitcoin and how that risks a bunch of Bitcoin attributes that we hold dear, said Jack Dorsey, co-founder of Twitter and CEO of Block Incorporated. Quote, When I see a project that is good for Bitcoin broadly, and that's also good for me and my companies personally, it becomes a simple decision for me. And I'm happy to be a part of it, In end quote. The ocean mining pool distinguishes itself as the first transparent 
and non-custodial platform where miners receive block rewards directly from the Coinbase transaction, eliminating the risks associated with traditional pools withholding payments from individual miners. Quote, Traditional Bitcoin mining pools take exclusive custody of block rewards and transaction fees before splitting them up amongst the miners. This gives them the ability to withhold payment from individual miners, whether by their own choice or by a legal requirement. Ocean's non-custodial payouts directly to miners from the block reward removed this risk, and the pool's undue influence over miners added Mamoulian, however you pronounce it, Mumelin, co-founder and president Mark Art. Uh, Artimico, why why can't these names just be normal names? God, quote, the role of mining pools must change for Bitcoin to exist as a truly decentralized currency, said longtime Bitcoin core developer and Mumelin co-founder Luke Dash Jr. Quote, Ocean is a new type of pool that enables miners to be truly miners again. We are launching as the most transparent pool and only and also the only non-custodial pool where miners are the recipients of new block rewards directly from Bitcoin. End quote. When asked by Bitcoin Magazine about what issues in the mining industry today that Ocean Team is motivated to solve, three main areas of focus were presented. One, centralization of block template construction. Two, custodianship. Three, transparency. Now, as Ocean aims to revolutionize Bitcoin mining, it anticipates rolling out additional phases of Bitcoin decentralization improvements and upgrades in 2024. For more information, visit the website Ocean, spelled like Ocean, dot XYZ. That's Ocean dot XYZ. Now, when you go to Ocean dot XYZ, a lot of this shit becomes really, really apparent. And for the guys that are over there in um, <clears throat> in the Zap stream, I've just put up th- th- the page for Ocean.xyz, and this is where you go if you're a miner, if you've got a couple of miners, and you want to connect to uh, Luke Dash Jr. and Jack Dorsey's Ocean Mining Pool. It's pretty freaking easy, man. So here's the thing. Let me let me get uh, let me go see where if I can remember where to find it again. Okay, like for instance, there's there's two, well, there's three steps, but really there's only two. You can start mining at Ocean Pool in two minutes, according to the website, by doing the following. Number one, enter the following address into your ASIC interface. Mine, M-I-N-E, dot ocean, dot X-Y-Z, colon, Three 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 four. You put that, that that that's directing your ASIC to talk to this pool. Then number two, enter a Bitcoin address for your username. Okay, that's a wallet address, right? And some X for a password. So your wallet address plus a password is your login to the dashboard. That's it. The minute that you get the minute that you set up your user account, your user account is your wallet, right? That's the wallet you want all this shit directed to. That's it. Now all your hash rate is pointed at ocean.xyz. It's going through the correct port 
It's that simple. It's pretty damn simple. And then after, because you've given it a wallet address, your hash rate as a basically like a percentage of whatever hash rate is represented in the entire pool, that's the Bitcoin that you, the amount of Bitcoin that you will receive per block. It's pretty easy. Now, does this mean that it's like, you know, a silver bullet? Nothing is a silver bullet. However, I'm glad to see this actually occur. And the the hash rate on this uh, mining pool has been going up and up and up and up and up and up and up. In fact, let's go to the dashboard. And yeah, it's like the, the hash rate from the beginning of November, which was essentially zero terahashes per second. Uh, let's see, actually, let's get over here. All the way to the head of the month, there was 237.6 terahashes per second. That was the 1st of November. Today, it's 160.5 petahashes per second. That I mean, that's a huge increase. And it just, basically, most of it just happened right after they announced it because I didn't know anything about Ocean. I had no idea what the hell it was. So if you were wondering what the hell Ocean was or is or whatever, you just got the lowdown of it. Now, tears for Cardano. I'm so sorry, Charles Hoskinson or whatever the hell your name is, but I I I, I feel your pain. Well, actually, no, I'm actually laughing at your pain because Cardano founder Charles Hoskinson says, Bitcoin gets complete pass from the SEC. Wee, 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 Stephen Graves, Decrypt.co, Cardano founder Charles Hoskinson. Hoskinson launched a blistering attack on the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission in a recent live stream, accusing it of giving Bitcoin a complete pass over the question of whether it's sufficiently decentralized to not be considered a security. Pausing right there to illustrate the fact that already Charles Hoskinson has no fucking idea what he's talking about. For it to be considered a security, you have to be able to find the person that actually released it. You, you, there has to be a way, there has to be an office to knock on. There has to be a mail drop to send a subpoena to. Or notification to there has to be a phone number, there has to be an email, there's got to be a physical corpus of either a single person or several people that represent a legal entity that is offering on exchanges Bitcoin for it to be considered a security. There's a lot more that goes into why Bitcoin's not a security, but that by itself demonstrates to me just how idiotic. Charles Hoskinson actually is. It's really sad, but quote, if you subpoena an attack about three different entities, you could perform a 51% attack on Bitcoin because that's the way the hash power works. No, it doesn't. But it's decentralized apparently, and Team Orange gets a complete pass, end quote. Describing the SEC's treatment of Bitcoin as an absolutely pathetic joke, Hoskinson queried the difference between Bitcoin, Ethereum, and Cardano. Quote, explain to me like I'm five years old. Run the goddamn Howey test on it and show me the difference between the two, he said, arguing that Bitcoin's orange pill moon boys have an expectation of returns. I've never seen anybody get something so wrong so completely 
and so utterly in my entire life as Charles Hoskinson, accusing the SEC of wasting hundreds of millions of dollars in a Pyrrhic war that's being fought on the industry. The Cardano founder said that eventually, quote, they'll lose court case after court case as they already have and will continue. And then at some point, it'll stop. There will not be an apology. There's not going to be any money that comes back. I'm sorry for you there, Charles. Railing against unaccountable government and regulators, Hoskinson praised libertarian lawmakers, saying that the only people that seem to improve the situation are the people that are unraveling the government. Quote, the entire reason cryptocurrencies exist is that we're trying collectively to reestablish the social contract because the social contract is horrifically broken, he added. I don't remember signing a contract when I was born for socially being responsible for a fucking thing. So Charles purports to be a libertarian. He's not. He's just legacy bullshit. Continuing, the SEC has repeatedly asserted that Cardano is a security in lawsuits directed at Binance and other crypto exchanges. The blockchain research and engineering firm behind Cardano... Input Output Global, or IOG, has refuted the SEC's claims, arguing that its complaints against Binance and Coinbase contain, quote, numerous factual inaccuracies, and that under no circumstances is ADA a security under U.S. securities laws, in quote. Undeterred, the SEC has repeated its claim that Cardano is a security, most recently in the new round of charges filed against crypto exchange Kraken. So, Charles Hoskinson decides to take to his live stream and cry, bitch, and moan about how he's just being treated unfairly, even though, and there's a video about this, when he says the, the, the whole thing, explain like I'm five, how the fuck this works. Well, somebody responded and literally had a five-year-old explain to Charles Hoskinson how this actually works. And it's hilarious. And if I had had my mind about me, I would have recorded that son of a bitch and played it, but I can't find it right now and the show must go on. But we have a grown man, a grown freaking man sitting in his chair crying. Now this telegraphs to me at least two things. One is given what he said, he doesn't understand Bitcoin and that's been evident for years. But if you didn't think he didn't understand Bitcoin, then you do now. There's no way this guy actually has the ability to think with the grace and the neuronal activity that God gave him. Two, I think things are going badly for Cardano. Otherwise he wouldn't be crying. And I don't know if that actually means, if somebody says, well, look at the price of Cardano, it's going up, it can't be too bad. Well, yeah, but Charles got activated. That's that's what this is telling me, is that something occurred. It's not like one day he just woke up and all things were equal, like it was the exact same day as the day before, as the day before that, and somehow or another he just broke. Uh Uh-uh, no. That's not what happened. Something happened actually occurred and he got his panties in a snit and he telegraphed to the world that something has occurred with Cardano. And if you're holding Cardano, and I hope you're not because you're listening to this show, you need to get rid of it like immediately. And yes, that's financial advice. And and by the way, when you get rid of it and it goes up by a hundred percent, don't come bitching at me because on the other side of that hundred percent, is going gonna, is gonna to be where it is that you see that shit happen. Why you didn't want to have anything to do with this crap. 
You don't want to have anything to do with any of it at all. And you also don't want to have nothing to do with CBDCs. Because the Bank of International Settlements Innovation Hub is presenting its private CBDC project. Yes, that's right. Cointelegraph. And it's being written by who? None other than David Atlee. The Bank for International Settlements Project, Turbillion, features two e-cash prototypes. The first providing unconditional payer anonymity and the second being more resilient in security terms. The Bank for International Settlements Innovation Hub has presented the final report on its private central bank digital currency initiative, Project Turbillion. The prototypes built in the project's framework could allow payment anonymity for CBDC transactions. I call bullshit already. The 46-page report published 20, the, November the 29th explores the concepts of privacy, security, and scalability on the material of two prototypes based on the designs of one of the pioneers of cryptography, David Chaum. The prototypes were called eCash 1.0 and eCash 2.0. <laughs> inventive while the former provides unconditional payer anonymity the latter has more resilient security features according to the report authors quote it's feasible to implement a cbdc that provides payer anonymity while combating illicit transactions in quote project turbillion t-o-u-r-b-i-l-l-o-n i guess that's turbill turbillion whatever achieves achieves that with the complete anonymity of the consumer during the transaction with the merchant the report says quote a consumer paying a merchant with cbdc's is anonymous to all parties including the merchant banks and central bank bullshit bullshit i'm not reading another word of this because it's all bullshit that is not why they want a CBDC. They do not care about your anonymity. They do not care about your privacy. They want every scrap of data they can get because they are control freaks. There is no privacy in Turbillin or any other CBDC project. The only privacy that you'll have any freaking hope to get is within the Bitcoin ecosystem at different levels of privacy. The main chain is not private at all. Lightning affords a little bit better privacy. In fact, it affords a lot better privacy. And then you've got Chami and eCash or Fediments, right? Which is really private and it's going to get more private. And by the time any transaction actually returns back to the main chain, nobody's going to know what the hell happened. But this, this Turbillion project and eCash 1.0 and 2.0, That's specifically designed to vacuum up every scrap of data that's possible. Don't you believe a single word of what the BIS is saying? But the point is, they're lying to you and they're moving ahead with their project. Expect this to hit the market at one point or another. Just be careful out there, ladies and gentlemen. Now, speaking of being careful, Coinbase might be forced to share your Bitcoin trading data with the CFTC. Wow. Okay. I figured it'd just be straight up the IRS, but let's figure out what the hell's going on in this one by Sander Lutz writing for Decrypt. In the last day, an unconfirmed number of Coinbase users has received emails from America's top crypto exchange informing them 
that information linked to their customer accounts might soon be shared with the Commodities Futures Trading Commission after Coinbase was served with a subpoena. While Coinbase has declined to publicly comment on the subpoena thus far, or what exact data it pertains to, the legal order appears to be connected to a matter concerning another crypto exchange, Bybit, the Dubai-based company founded in 2018 by Ben Zhu. A person familiar with the matter confirmed to Decrypt that Coinbase did indeed send such emails out to customers this week, but would not elaborate on what exact information was requested by the CFTC, how that information pertains to Bybit, or how many customers might be impacted by the subpoena. In its letter to affected customers, Coinbase wrote that it might protest the subpoena in court before an apparent November 30th deadline, that's tomorrow. However, a person familiar with the matter told Decrypt that Coinbase is working with the CFTC to determine what data may soon be sent over to the federal agencies. Though the company is reportedly working to limit the scope of the data shared as much as possible. On Twitter, Coinbase users who received the notice questioned why they were now in the federal government's crosshairs. And some speculated that only crypto holders who use both Coinbase and Bybit were targeted by the subpoena, potentially as a part of a growing case against Bybit. Anyone who ever sent from Bybit to Crimebase got that email, probably the CFTC phishing for burger users to establish jurisdiction, according to Nap Jenner on Twitter, he writing that on November the 28th. But multiple subpoena notice emails sent to customers by Coinbase and reviewed by Decrypt were issued to users who say they've never used Bybit or created accounts with the exchange. When asked by Decrypt about these customers, Coinbase declined comment. The CFTC declined comment when reached out to by Decrypt. The CFTC has previously sued crypto exchanges for failing to institute KYC, for operating illegal digital asset derivatives exchanges, and for offering futures trading without registration. And just last week, as one part of Binance's historic settlement with multiple U.S. government agencies, including the DOJ, the exchange agreed to pay a $1.35 billion fine for violating those specific CFTC guidelines. Bybit only began mandating KYC standards across all of its services in May of this year, according to the company's website. While connecting American Coinbase users' accounts to Bybit accounts could be one way for the CFTC to prove that American users were able to access Bybit's products and services without providing key identifying information, the agency has not yet filed any lawsuit against the Bybit exchange. So, it, it the shit rolls downhill and it continues to roll downhill. Don't get swept up by it. But this, again, this is, we are firmly in the then they fight you phase. It doesn't mean that it gets better like it does. It doesn't mean that it gets better from this day forward. It's going to get worse, but there is no going back, right? We are now entering what, what Winston Churchill called hell. And if you're going through hell, keep going. You have to get to the other side of this. All of us have to get to the other side of this. And the other side doesn't look as fun as the side that we just left, but we are firmly in the demarcation line. There is before this time, and then there's going to be after this time. 
And nobody really knows what after this time looks like. But I'll tell you this. None of the developers for Lightning, Fediment, Noster, or Bitcoin seem to be slowing down in circumventing the system. And with that circumvention, we as termites are obligated to destroy every single standing structure we see. Yeah, it's like that that movie, uh, Full Metal Jacket. God loves the Marines because we kill everything we see. We have to be that infestation. We have to, uh, the Monday show was make the hard easy. Do you know, do you know how to use Chami and eCash? Learn. Do you know how to set up the Lightning Network node? Learn. Do you have a Bitcoin full node running? If you don't, get one and learn how to set it up. It's the hard that we have to make the easy. Because if we let it always continue to be hard and we don't generate teacher after teacher after teacher to make what we found hard easier for somebody else, then we are not acting like the termites we need to be. We need to infest every stick and branch of the house that is the legacy financial system. And speaking of, let's run the numbers. CNBC futures and commodities. I got Earl West Texas intermediate making a climb back up one and a half percent to the upside. And it's back to $77 and 54 cents. Brent Norsey is up one and a quarter to $82 and 67 cents. Natural gas falling again, 0.74% to the downside, $2 and 81 cents per thousand. And gasoline is up one and a third, $2 and 26 cents a gallon. Gold is up a third of a point to 2,046 and 10 cents. Silver is up 0.7. Platinum is down just over one point. Copper is up a third. Palladium is down, wow, 3.11%. Agricultural futures are fully mixed. Lumber is down 0.83%. Biggest winner today is wheat, 2.8% to the upside. And lumber is actually your biggest loser in agricultural futures. Uh, I got live cattle up a fifth of a point. Lean hogs are down a third. Feeder cattle are up 0.7%. The Dow is up almost a half point. Yay, we're saved. S&P is up a third. NASDAQ is up a third. And the S&P mini is up 0.86%. Bonds have all lost on yield today, which means their face value has gone up. If you bought it 100 at like yesterday, which doesn't happen, but like you bought it 100 yesterday, your face value is actually more than $100 today because the interest rate yield got pushed down on every single bond. And there's like 15 of them. From the one month to the 30-year bond, everything is down. The 30-year bond is yielding 4.46%, 20-year 4.63%, and the 10-year 4.27%. The dollar index has slid again. It is down now to 102.80. Bitcoin is bouncing around. It got up to like 38,800 yesterday and now is leveled off at $37,747. 0.8% 
0.92 BTC average transaction value. The median transaction value is 69 bucks. So ordinals are not the rule of the day today. Block times, however, are high. 10 minutes and 22 seconds. Uh, 0.46 BTC taken in fees on a per block basis and 63.9 BTC taken overall in fees in the last 24 hours. With a 6.34% rise in hash rate, we are at 502.3 exahashes per second. Your shitcoin indicator is Dogecoin. Maybe Elon said something because now it's above 8 United States pennies, squarely sitting at 8.1 United States pennies. And, well, I guess that means people still think altcoin season is going to save them. Oh, if you know when to get out, I suppose it will, but you're not going to be keeping it for, you know, fuck you money. That's for certain. Uh, market capitalization of Bitcoin is $738.6 billion. That is 5.4% of gold's market cap. There are 19,556,186.78 BTC in circulation and 5,330 of those are in the lightning network value just over $200 million on 14,574 nodes sporting 61,572 payment channels and 79.8% of all that shit's being run over Tor. Now, mempools, as you might guess, are packed and stacked, but, 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 check this shit out. We got like almost 300 blocks carrying 175,000 unconfirmed transactions. We've been sitting at these levels for a while. And now we have an average transaction value of about 70 bucks. Yet the high priority fees are at 33 Satoshis per V-byte. Low priority is going to cost you 29 Purging from mempools around the world, everything under 10.5 Satoshis per V-byte. Well, I've seen, I've, on several occasions, 286 blocks or 300 blocks carrying 175 to 200 unconfirmed, thousand unconfirmed transactions, but high priorities were costing 357 Satoshis per V-byte. You know what, where we get those? Because of ordinals. Because every single, I guess I would have, before I say this as a fact, I'm just going to caveat that I don't know if this is a fact, but it seems to me, because I do this a lot, that every single time I end up telling you that the average transaction value of Bitcoin is 20 cents, and I go over and I see the number of blocks and the number of transactions this high, generally speaking, the high priority transaction fees are like 200 to 350 Satoshis per V-byte. What do I get from that? It's all Ordinal's fault, man. It's all Ordinal's. <coughs> Fatoshi, kicking us off with the boostograms. 21,021 sats says first, second, last. Wartime Psycho with 3333 says the other way Argentina can dollarize is to buy treasuries and issue dollar loans against it. What Tether is doing. Yeah, wartime, I get what you're saying. And for the government operations, yes, I know that that works because governments can trade treasuries like they trade cash. I'm talking about how do they get dollars to Pablo and his street side cart? Huh? I, that's what I'm talking about. Because the dollars have to come from somewhere. And if your answer is that they can buy treasuries and somehow or another that works. They still need physical dollars. They still have to have this shit 
in people's banks, bank accounts as a digital format, and they have to have it on the streets in a cash format, like paper or coins or something like that. And my question still remains, how are they going to get those dollars? Dollars are in short supply. So I, I'm not saying that it can't happen. I'm just saying that it's a very huge pain point, and it's going to be interesting to see how Javier Malay approaches that one. Dubrovko with 1340, 16.15 into this episode. And for the first time ever, I understand what it means when people say or said, you can verify your own transactions. <laughs> nice. Hot Potato Head with 1234 says, hi. <laughs> How'd you do, brother? Uh, Axelrod with 1010 says, flying that flag high, thanks. I'll do the work to live the revolution when I'm not doing the work to butter my bread. Cheers. Wise words from Axelrod. Don't drop what you're doing to make the hard easy. Figure, sort like there, there's this uh, in, um, oh God, the first part of Star Trek movie generations. Yes, is from uh, the next generation movies, which were not in my opinion, good at all, but whatever. The first part, Captain Kirk is on the bridge of the new, of the, the, of, of the enterprise, this new enterprise at the head of this movie. And he finds out that one of his best friends commander or admiral was a captain Sulu had had a daughter and he didn't know anything about it. And he asked the question, when did Sulu have time to have a daughter? And Mr. Scott, the engineer from the old, original series was standing next to him and he says, well, as you always say, captain, if something's important to you, you make the time. So don't drop your day job to figure all this shit out, but figure out a way that you can say what I'm doing right here. Isn't really worth the time. I need to learn how to make a lightning transaction. I need to learn Chami and eCash. I need to set up my Bitcoin node, exchange the time that you do have that you're using to do something else. There you go. Now, Pies, 500. Super stoked when I got the notification at work. Thank you, sir. No, thank you. God's death with 370. Thank you, sir. No, thank you. God's death with another 370 says, thank you, sir. No, thank you. BitGus with 200 says, boost. And just for my heroes with 100 sat says, I enjoyed your episode. Good job. Node Runner here. Thanks for insisting your listeners to do the same. I do have one critique about Kathy and Ark selling GBTC. I believe in their ARC prospectus, it has limits on the value of their holdings. And when it reaches a certain percentage of the ETF, they're required to sell. This would not surprise me, by the way. This may have changed, but it's how it used to be. Also, they're selling the seed or maybe they're selling to seed their own ETF. Again, not certain, but food for thought. Just for my heroes, good freaking point. That actually makes a lot of sense. Although I still think that I, I'm not saying anything bad about Kathy. I, I don't like her. I don't love her. I don't hate her. I don't dislike her. I'm fairly neutral about Kathy. I'm a little bit on the positive side because she, at least she understands the prospect of what Bitcoin can bring. She's made that clear, but she's also still in the fiat legacy financial bullshit. So Whatever. Uh, you know what? That's going to do it for the weather report. Welcome to part two of the news that you can use. We're going to start this one off 
with a question. Where in the world is Hex founder Richard Hart? Ah, that's a good question. You know, you've been seeing him, you know, dance around in his Prada or whatever the hell, Gucci, whatever the hell he's wearing. But we don't really know where he is. And now it appa- it's apparent that the Securities and Exchange Commission kind of want to ask him some questions and they can't find him either. Sander Lutz from Decrypt. The United States government is searching far and wide for Richard Hart, the controversial crypto founder that it charged months ago with orchestrating an illegal $1 billion security scheme. And it can't seem to find him. In July, the Securities and Exchange Commission accused Hart, whose actual name is Richard Schuler, with violating securities law by selling and promoting a cryptocurrency, Hex, that he promised holders would become the highest appreciating asset that has ever existed in the history of man. Now, lawyers for the SEC have informed a federal judge that they haven't even been able to serve Hart in the case with a subpoena, which is the first step of getting proceedings off the ground. In a filing submitted to a New York federal court by an SEC lawyer last week, the SEC conceded that although it believes that Hart resides in Helsinki, Finland, any attempts to serve him via the Finnish Ministry of Justice has failed over the last three months. Quote, to date, the SEC has not received confirmation of service of process on defendants in Finland, the SEC lawyer wrote. While the SEC did not clarify whether this issue stemmed from the Finnish government's lack of cooperation with the American government or a broader failure to locate Hart himself, the latter is more likely given the close collaborative relationship between the two NATO member countries. Hart has long been secretive about his whereabouts. When the crypto founder was prominently featured in the documentary about Hex earlier this year, he made a point of keeping his home's location both unknown to both viewers and to the film's directors opting to shoot interviews in a hand-selected underground bunker, the location of which was also kept secret. (laughs) But that doesn't mean Hart has gone off the radar. In the six days since the SEC admitted that it couldn't find the crypto influencer, it or he has publicly tweeted 31 times. In these tweets, Hart has not mentioned his location or refer- referenced the fact that the American government is searching for him. He has, however, repeatedly gloated about the legal woes of fallen Binance founder Shengpeng Zhao, who pled guilty last week to violating anti-money laundering laws in the United States. Quote, The list of people in jail or bankrupt that didn't like Richard Hart or the things he founded is really long. Hart wrote last week, quote, they were wrong. CZ, SBF, Mashinsky, Suzu, Duquan, upgrade your view. Whatever, dude. <laughs> While Hart has not yet been charged with any criminal offenses, he now finds himself in a similar position to some of the fallen crypto founders he recently mocked. Both Terra founder Duquan and Three Arrows Capital founder Suzu tweeted for months on end after the respective crypto projects collapsed, even as they fled criminal charges and attempted to lie low in foreign countries, and both were eventually captured. Quan is currently serving a four-month sentence in Montenegro, after which he will be extradited to either the U.S. or South Korea for further criminal charges. <laughs> Richard Hart is on the run. <laughs> That dude is a scammer, man. And if you didn't know, 
who he was, just as an aside. When email first cranked up, um, it didn't take, you know, it took, a, I don't know, took pretty much a decade or two for, you know, after email became widely available to students at the university level. So we're talking starting in the, in the probably the early to mid nineties, 1990s, about 10 years to, you know, after that, that's when email spam got really bad. And it turns out that Richard Hart was one of the top three people in the world that was doing the email spamming. So he's been a scammer from way back, way, way back. He's also implicated in a lot of shit down in Panama, but we won't get into that. Just trust me. The man is somebody that you don't want to get a drink with. Don't listen to a word he says, but we might want to listen to Shinobi. Now I'm going to read the headline for this Bitcoin magazine article, and I don't want you to freak out. Lightning is doomed. Yes, it's doomed. It's doomed. Yes, it is. And Shinobi's going to tell us how. Lightning is doomed. High fees from ordinals have killed all hope of scaling Bitcoin non-custodially. There is no chance at all that people will be able to cost-effectively open channels or enforce hung payments on-chain when necessary. It's all over. Pack it all up, guys. Time to start shopping around and deciding whether Coinbase or Cash App is a better platform for all of our Bitcoin needs now that we can't afford to do it directly on-chain in a high-fee environment. It was fun while it lasted. We'll always have the pixelated dick pics on the Lightning Art side. The lightning torch meme where everyone was scared to send it to people in countries the state told us is full of nothing but bad people. We'll still have the zapping sats from custodial account to custodial account into the era of walled gardens we go. If you took any of that seriously on any level, go look at yourself in the mirror and then give yourself a good hard slap in the face. The original Lightning Network white paper specifically defined in the conclusion to that paper for the 7 billion people to be able to open two channels a year, Bitcoin would require 133 megabyte blocks. There's an entire section of the white paper called risks. That's called section nine. And it spells out all of the major problems people think means Lightning is doomed because of high fees. The first section of the paper discusses time lock windows, improper time locks. This is essentially the dynamic of fee rates versus confirmation time that has become a large concern as of late. When you route a payment over the network, you define a success path based on a hash lock pre-image and clawback path based on the refund time lock window. If fees get higher, that time lock window needs to be longer to guarantee that a pre-image spend doesn't fail to confirm before a refund transaction becomes spendable. Like, for instance, if you have to confirm a successful payment on-chain, the time lock on the refund path has to be long enough that you can confirm the successful payment path before your channel counterparty can claim the funds through the refund path. How long that time lock window has to be increases the higher fee rates get. 
Because the transaction fee decided ahead of time for pre-signed channel closure, transactions can be too low to confirm as fast as you expected when you sign them. Many people are freaking out and losing their shit over this dynamic as if it's some new realization and it spells the doom of the Lightning Network. This was literally described as a risk in the original white paper specifying the first version of the Lightning Protocol. It explicitly even described the opportunity cost trade-offs from an economic point of view. Quote, there is a trade-off between longer time locks and the time value of money. End quote. The next section is called forced expiration spam. It, it describes the general concept of the flood and loot attack. An adversary opening a large number of channels and closing them all at once on-chain specifically to take advantage of the fact that if the fee rates got too high, refund transactions could have a chance at double-spending success path transactions if something needed to be enforced on-chain. If you have a bunch of channels open with payments in mid-flight and you close them all at once and drive fees high up high enough, then every channel counterparty who has to confirm a successful payment on-chain could find themselves in a double-spend race if the fees are driven up high enough to let the time-lock transaction become valid before the successful one with the pre-image is confirmed. If you have enough channels open and drive fees up high enough, you can profit from this. It was literally described in the white paper as an architectural concern. Depending on which version of the paper you count, this class of attack was described in 2015 to 2016. It wasn't formally modeled and introduced into the news cycle of this space until 2020. The white paper described data loss, the situation of losing a pre-signed closure transaction and penalty keys for old states that would allow a malicious channel counterparty to steal your funds if they were aware of this. It brought up the situation of being incapable of broadcasting a penalty transaction and the potential for watchtowers to solve this as a third party being paid to watch the blockchain and submit those transactions on your behalf. It literally described miners censoring channel penalty transactions as a risk and suggested minor anonymity as the mitigation for that risk. But this is all new information. The Lightning Network is doomed to failure because no one saw any of this coming. The blockchain, you idiots. Well, I guess we can just admit historical context is lost. Reason is lost. Logic and rationality is lost. We are in a reality where we are going to pretend like historical warnings just don't exist. No one ever pointed out obvious problems destined to manifest themselves in the future, and this is all just totally uncharted territory where no one ever thought about how things would play out. What is the title of Section 9.6? Oh, Inability to Make Necessary Soft Forks. The original white paper explicitly spelled out the inability to coordinate soft forks as a risk to the success of the Lightning Network. Are you surprised? Have you ever read any of this before? Personally, I'm getting deja vu. 
I remember years and years ago, a large contingent of Bitcoiners screaming that the blockchain itself was hitting scaling limits, that it would fail unless we fundamentally altered the entire nature of the decentralization trade-offs of the system. Blockchains were fundamentally useless if people couldn't directly submit all of their transactions on-chain and have them cost-effectively confirmed. The entire foundation of the Bitcoin ecosystem was rocked to its core when people started arguing over the cost-effectiveness of the blockchain at scale. That was literally the entire cause of the block size war. What was at the core of this disruption? People's expectations of what role the blockchain would play in the puzzle of Bitcoin's evolving ecosystem. Everyone is going to buy their coffee on-chain at a cost-effective fee rate, or Bitcoin is a total failure. Everyone with that mentality just completely misjudged the entire situation. They were trying to stuff a square peg into a round hole. It's the exact same thing with Lightning. The blockchain was sorely misjudged. It was really just a place to put channel openings and closings. Not a place to buy your coffee. There's no real chance that people misjudged Lightning, though. That is surely the place to put your coffee payments. No, no one could possibly have misjudged that this time. See how silly that sounds when you put it like that in the proper context? Lightning has issues with enforcing payments on chain, period. If the value of the payment is less than the fee to submit the transaction to the chain, this is a problem, period. It makes no economic sense to try to enforce it on chain. This was a very well-known problem. It's essentially the exact same problem of low-value payments happening directly on-chain, except in the optimistic case, things just work because people cooperate off-chain. But when they don't cooperate, there are problems. This problem was so well-known that there was actually a good deal of debate years ago about a solution to it with different trade-offs, packetized payments. If an HTLC is too small to be able to enforce trustlessly on-chain, you can stream a payment sat by sat or larger chunks of sats in a trusted manner and stop streaming and pick another route if someone in a hop decides they're going to steal a sat from you. The idea is that while it is a trusted payment routing mechanism, you can only lose a few sats to an attacker who steals a tiny piece of your payment. And if someone steals from you while routing a payment, you just never route through those nodes again. The citation above is from 2019, but this idea was discussed even earlier than that. Lightning has a problem, and also a solution to that problem most people reading probably never heard about. All of these issues people seem to think means that the sky is falling are issues well understood from the very beginning of Lightning, and this begs a question. Were we wrong again? Not wrong in the sense that Lightning is doomed dead end, but wrong in the sense that Lightning is not going to be used long term in the way that we thought initially, just like the blockchain itself. We already see Lightning denominated by custodial applications, and people are working on deploying things specifically designed to sit on top of Lightning. Here we go, ladies and gentlemen. Chamian eCash Mints. Uncle Jim setups like LN Bits where people are given a custodial account on someone's Lightning node. We even have proposals like ARC being built out in the proof of concept phase on Liquid, which can interact autom atomically 
not automatically, but atomically with Lightning payments. What if Lightning isn't going to be the killer protocol that consumers directly interact with in order to make their payments online? What if, just like the blockchain itself, it simply winds up being a piece of a settlement layer that other things are built on top of? Oh my God. Would that be the end of the world? Would that be a failure of Lightning? I would argue absolutely not. From the very beginning of developments on Lightning, it was incredibly clear what its scaling limitation would be. The white paper literally brings up the issue of not getting support for soft forks needed in the future as a limitation of Lightning's potential scalability. Lightning is proving definitely right. Sorry, excuse me, let me do that again. Lightning is proving definitively right now that it can function as a layer for interactivity between custodians and that it works smoothly and very effectively for that. There's no reason at all Lightning cannot function as a similar connectivity layer for other Layer 2s that have superior trust models than an explicit custodian. If channels are not something individuals can cost-effectively have for their daily spending activity, that doesn't mean they are not cost-effective for LSPs, Lightning Service Providers, who run new protocols in addition to Lightning to link between each other, allowing their users to interact with each other. ARCs, state chains, whatever new ideas people develop over the coming years. It can be a translator layer for other systems that scale the end user's ability to onboard and transact on those layers. Exactly like we wound up realizing the blockchain would have to be. And there's nothing wrong with that. Okay, so... Shinobi is really good laying out some stuff, but he does get technical and I apologize for that. But really, if you just kind of X out the technicalities like, you know, HTLCs, if you don't understand that, that's fine. Nobody, you know, you should make the hard easy and, and learn what HTLCs are and how they operate, but it's not necessary for the next 10 minutes of your life. All right, come on, let's, let's be real. However, he is pointing out what I've, I've kind of figured out myself after the blockchain size wars was that this isn't what we think it is because it's our perceptions that are getting in our way to understanding what Bitcoin actually is. Bitcoin doesn't care what you think it is. Bitcoin is, and it has properties. And those properties are also not just plain to see, but they fit together in ways that cause other properties, we call these emergent properties, to start manifesting. And you can't see those. I can't see those. Luke Dash Jr. can't even see those because we are all bound up in the format of our God-given perception. And that perception has been generally fucked by your education shit you see on TV, the world around you, how people act, how people react, all of that fits together to form your general perception. And unless you can see something outside of that lens of the perception that is basically fucked and not allow you to see what things are as they really are, then you won't be able to see what comes next. And that means we should have known. We do now, 
that Bitcoin has scaling issues. We were told in the Lightning white paper that Lightning has scaling issues and that we were going to see those limitations. It's been, what, three or four years, and we're starting to see the limitations. Ordinals brought that to light. That's the good thing about ordinals, is that it brought it to light. This eCash and the Fediment stuff, that's the next branch. Now, once you, at one point or another, go outside. And go pick up a leaf off the ground. In most places, north of the equator, well, actually north of the, was it, was the, is either the Tropic of Cancer, I think is the north demarcation line for the tropics. Anywhere that experiences a fall where leaves fall off the tree, and if you're not in a fall situation and you can go pick one off the tree that's live, then do that. But go find a leaf. Then look at the main stem. The, the thing that attaches the flat part of the leaf to the branch of the tree or bush or whatever. They all have a fundamental, it doesn't matter what species. Is it a plant? And if it's not a pine tree, then you're basically looking at a leaf that has an essential structure. What is that essential structure? Bifurcation. Something splits into two. Those two things split into two things themselves. Those four things then split, and then they split, and then they split. And if you look at the vein pattern on a leaf, there's a reason it does that. It has to be able to gather the products from each individual cell in a leaf. Otherwise, the photosynthetic products of that leaf will go to waste. But one single loop of a vein running through those leaves cannot touch every single cell. This is a a pattern repeated throughout biology, ladies and gentlemen. It is a fundamental fact of living in this universe. To hit everything, you need multiple branches. And I don't mean shit coins. I mean layers stacked upon layers stacked upon layers and each one of them condenses what they are able to touch into a singular package that can go into the next layer below them, the bigger layer. And then that's one transaction. And then that gets into the next layer, into the next layer, into the next layer, into the next layer, until finally it is of a manageable size when like all the transactions from all the leaves are finally condensed down to where it pulses out of the stem, then each leaf has a singular package to deliver to the tree. And that is a transaction the tree can handle. There is nothing different about the way humans build shit than what we've been taught by the world and formed our what? Perception. Your perception of the world is the exact same thing I just described. You walk through a forest. You look at leaves all the time. Almost everybody sees the branching pattern. And yet what we don't understand is how that feeds into our perception. And not just yours and not just mine, but the developers of the people that write code. The world programmed you. Whether you like that statement or not, you got your ass programmed. You think in certain ways, and those ways are 
given to you by the world and the environment that you inhabit. How else are you? This is what artists and musicians and authors and other like engineers. This is why people microdose mushrooms is to destroy the perceptions that they've been given so that they can see another way. But most people don't do that. And we end up with exactly the same kind of structures. And if we think that Chami and eCash is going to be the silver bullet, we're wrong. And if you think that whatever is built on Chami and eCash is the silver bullet, you're wrong. And on and on and on it goes until we finally reach the end. And the end is going to be defined that every single person on the planet will have the ability to transact at one layer or another with Bitcoin in toto. That's all I'm going to say about that. Got a few announcements here. Uh, DTAN.XYZ, that's DTAN, D-T-A-N.XYZ, Distributed Torrent Archive on Noster. What did I just say? Noster now has torrents. If you don't know what a torrent is, I'm not going to explain it to you other than to say most of the people that quote-unquote pirated their movies off the internet got them out of torrents, right? There are ways to keep files up that nobody can find out where because they're all distributed on everybody's computer that is downloading the particular movie. I brought you that whole thing, what was it called? Uh, was either I think it was Friday last Friday or something like that. Whenever I did, uh, there was a, an anonymous paper that described using uh, that was describing torrents. In fact, Guy Swan just did a, a, a like not this last one, but I think the time before he read the paper that I was talking about on the show that talks about incentivizing people keeping torrents up and alive so that everybody can download all these files. Well, now we have DTAN.XYZ. Let's get into it. NoBSBitcoin.com. Quote, made a new thing. Don't sue me. DTAN.XYZ announced Kieran on Noster. Quote, if any of you want to run your own DTAN, you can get it on Docker at hub.docker.com forward slash R forward slash void IC forward slash DTAN, he added. <laughs> and here's a couple of here's a couple of uh uh comments written in note form on Noster about DTAN. Um oh and also on Stacker News. We'll start with Stacker News. This is going to be wild. If it gets traction, no ads, it's just a magnet so the relays don't need compliance. Good user case. Uh I was here's another one. I was just thinking about this concept the other day. Awesome work. The way I pictured it, you could crawl the DHT to find torrents using Bitmagnet and then use something like DTAN XYZ as the front end to search the results and have a page for them. This way, both the torrent discovery and front end are decentralized. Another note, running my instance of DTAN at DTAN dot, what is something, something, onion address, blah, blah, blah. A new golden age of torrenting has arrived. Lawyers can send DMCA notices to go fuck yourself at strizemarks.com. <laughs> what are torrents? Now here's, here's a note by Derek Ross that may, may help us, you know, help, help us get our minds around what's, what's happening here. Cause this is important. 
If you're going like going, why is he going on about this? I, there, it comes to a point. Trust me. Hold on. Torrance over Noster via Kieran. A quick, frequently asked question. What are torrents? Torrents are used to distribute files over a decentralized network of computers. This means that there's no central server that is responsible for storing the files. Instead, the files are stored on the computers of people who have downloaded them. Torrents themselves are decentralized, but the trackers for them are not. Trackers are websites or indices of available torrents. Why are torrents over Noster beneficial? It's the torrents over Noster. That's the point that I'm getting at. Noster now has torrents. Just let that sink in. If you don't care about torrents, then I, I can't help you. And I don't use torrents all that much myself. But Noster is, but the, the, there's a bigger picture here. Noster is doing what I thought it was going to do. It's collecting up everything that the web used to be before Twitter, before Facebook, before Instagram, before all the bullshit, all the walled gardens. We had, it was like a, a huge pasture that we could run around and frolic in, right? And it's just gotten smaller and smaller and smaller. Noster is collecting up everything that the web used to be that made it valuable before it was usurped by the ass wipes. And it's bringing it to Noster, which means that if you've got a public private key pair for Noster, you have access to all of it, including this one. Because why are torrents over Noster beneficial? Torrent metadata is stayed on Noster, is stored on Noster relays. Generally speaking, when a torrent site is shut down, all the metadata is lost or fragmented, creating problems for users of that centralized service provider. Using Noster means that it's extremely easy to replicate and serve the metadata, keeping torrents alive since no central point of failure exists. What did he just say? It means that you can find the torrent. He was talking about like there's the torrents that exist, but you need an indexer to actually go find and give you an address to go get the file. And when centralized services are taken offline, the index is gone, right? Or at least for that centralized service. And then you got to use another one and another one. In this case, the metadata is on the relays and the relays are self-enforcing them each other by continuously sending messages. Shut down one relay, doesn't matter. The index is still there. That's the point. You see what I'm getting at? See why this is important? Because it doesn't have to be a movie file that's a torrent. It can be a CD key for an old version of Windows. See? it can be, Torrents represented everything. That's where I got uh, um, uh, uh, art, what, uh, CAD, uh, art, ACAD, ARTCAD. Before uh, before uh, Autodesk uh, bought it. Actually, I guess it was Autodesk that started out their company with uh, AutoCAD, ACAD. And then they turned it into like Autodesk literally bought everything under the sun. And now we have the Autodesk of today. But when I first was trying to figure out how to use AutoCAD, I needed a copy of it. Where did I go? I went to Torrance. And I got the whole program from Torrance. I installed it. And then I needed to have an activation key. Where did I go to find it? I went to the Torrance. And I found a valid activation key. I did all this shit inside of a couple of hours. Because the download time at at the time was, you know, pretty limited. But still, movies, music, computer programs, 
documents, you name it. It's it can all be. A, is it is it a digitized computer file? Well, then there can be a torrent for that. And if there's a torrent for that, then you need to be able to find it, and that's the index. Where does the index live? On the Noster relay. And what do we know about Noster? It's like Bitcoin, man. It's like an infestation of termites. We're going to destroy everything. The walls that they've built are not made out of stone. They are made out of wood. We're going to chomp through them. And then we're going to, as Kid Warp says, light them the fuck on fire. It's just done with these people. And every single time I turn around, every single freaking time I turn around, every day I wake up, I'm waking up to shit like this. How can I not be not only hopeful for the future, but desperately trying to get to the future as fast as I possibly can and still remember I don't want to miss my kids growing up. I really am watching the future unfold and it is not unfolding anything like the people that want to control your lives expected nor want. And that makes me happy because now we got Jack Mallers because they keep shipping over at strike yesterday We turned on fiat card on-ramps for Mexico, Brazil, India, Vietnam, and Guatemala. Today, we released sending to lightning addresses. You can send fiat or Bitcoin to a lightning address with Strike. Here's a demo where I send Odell $10 from my bank account to his lightning address. We aren't far away from cross-currency payments over the internet looking like sending an email over the internet. Strike Africa, Strike EU, Strike LATAM coming up next. Looking to ship Africa before Christmas. Stay humble, stack shipping. And he gives a video of him sending 10 United States dollars from his bank account. Not his strike account, from his bank account, which is connected to his strike. And he sends 10 United States fiat fun bucks over the wire to Matt O'Dell's lightning address. Not his fiat fun coupon bank account. Not not like PayPal, which would accept dollars. It's not dollar to dollar. It's dollar to lightning directly to his lightning address. Again, if you didn't get that, Jack Mallers just released to probably a billion people on the planet. Well, actually over a billion because India is included, but released to over one seventh, we'll say one eighth of the world's population can send fiat money directly from their fiat bank account to a lightning address. Again, the infestation must continue. I want these walls down by next year. Flockster may help. What the hell's Flockster? Well, Flockster is where you announce shit. You announce meetings, or like if your band is playing, or Chister. Yep. I've only just recently realized that Chicago is also called Chai Town. And I found that odd because I'm used to being in Texas. So I have A Town, which is now being relabeled to ATX. That would be Austin. I got H Town, which is Houston. 
people actually will still call uh, Dallas D-Town, you know. But I've never heard of Chi-Town before, but it appears that the first Chicago Noster meetup is occurring. Stop by. Let's chat about other stuff. We'll see you there. That's tomorrow, Thursday, November the 30th, 5 p.m. to 9 p.m. I assume that's Central Standard Time at the Game Room, 12 South Michigan Avenue, Chicago, Illinois, 60603, United States of America. All right, so if you're in Chicago, if you're one of my listeners and you live anywhere close to Chicago, you might consider going to the first ever Chicago Noster meetup. It's happening Thursday, November the 30th, 5 p.m. to 9 p.m. at the Game Room, which is sitting squarely on number 12 South Michigan Avenue, Chicago, Illinois, uh, I wish I could go. I would love to be there with all of you, but Chicago's a long way away for me. Um, Will or JB55 has been talking about stuff. He says at this Nostra note, I might have spent the last eight hours building a full text search engine in Nostra DB. I made the index as space efficient as possible. The keys are stored in a compressed format and map words and word indices to note IDs. So, when you type, quote, the quick brown fox, end quote, it will be able to return results with those exact words in sequence, or not if it cannot find that exact sequence. Testing it now will release soon, TM. So, remember what Jack Dorsey was saying about, you know, we... Of all the things about Noster, the one thing that if we don't get this shit right, is just going to suck, is search. And then he had a very long, and I read it to you, like on, on Monday, I read, you, I read you that whole thing about how search was incredibly important to Noster, and he's not wrong. I listen to people, you know, I listen to people like Jack when they're talking about stuff like this because he built one of the first instances of this with Twitter. He knows what he's talking about. And his primary problem at Twitter and Twitter's primary problem in general was the lack of a good search. And he said that of all the things that they could have done, getting search right is what made onboarding everybody possible. Not because they needed space. They needed people to be able to come find shit. They needed a discovery mechanism. And here we are like, and this was actually released yesterday on the 20s. Actually the day, actually it was later on that day, later on, on Monday, somewhere in the afternoon for uh, I'm reading 4 50 PM in the afternoon. Will says, Hey, guess what? I built search again. And if I haven't said this enough for you, the infestation will continue until all the wooden walls that the fiat legacy system thinks are made out of stone have been torn down and burned upon a funeral pyre. If you do not want to be part of the infestation, I don't know what the hell's wrong with you. Chew this shit down to the ground. Be the termite they can never find. And I'm going to let you go at this point. We are 82 minutes in. And we're just going to end it with dad says jokes. Sylvester Stallone said he wants to make a movie about classical music. And he says, I will be Beethoven. 
Jean-Claude Van Damme says, okay, I'll be Mozart. You know what's coming. Arnold Schwarzenegger says, I'll be back, and I'll see you on the other side. This has been Bitcoin And, and I'm your host, David Bennett. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and hope to see you again real soon. Have a great day.